Voice of the SBA will fight to the end and lead the way. Sing out together. TV for the fans, by the fans. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls all over the UK. And uh, I'm Miles Cadden. This is Sky Blue Fans TV live podcast and uh, live stream on YouTube and Twitter. Now, we've um, got a special guest this evening for us. We've got two episodes tonight. So we've got the episode now. Uh, which is going to be with the one and only Stuart Lernow, MBE. How are we, Stuart? I'm well, thank you, Miles. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Not too bad at all. So you've been a bit of a busy chap today, haven't you? <laughs> yes, it's a lovely lunch. It's the Diamond Club lunch today. They meet four times a year, as you probably know. If you're aged over 60, you've been watching the Sky Blues for more than 60 years, um, then you can be a member. Um I've had a membership form to join the Diamond Club, which my good friend Joe Elliott, who chairs the meetings, sent to me ages ago, sitting sitting on my side in the kitchen, gathering dust. And when Joe invited me to this one, my wife said, look, there it is. Fill it in. You might as well join the club while you're there. So today I became a member of the Diamond Club and I was the, one of their guests as well, with, along with Oggy. And what was it like? I mean, you know, being the first time there, joining as a member. Uh, what, what did you talk about? I've been there before as a guest. Um, it was it was a lovely lovely lunch, as you might imagine. Lots of old friends, and uh, uh, with my old mate Oggy chatting away about his the way he's taken like a duck to water. Several people said exactly that to to broadcasting to local radio. I mean, it really is um, a credit to him that he's done so well in a relatively short space of time. Um, I mean, he doesn't have to operate the controls. He doesn't have to sit in the studio and push buttons or anything like that. But he has to talk knowledgeably, as you'd expect he would, of course, about football and about Coventry City in particular. And he does that brilliantly. Um, we had a good time. We reminisced over old times. Uh, we expressed our concerns about current times, as you might imagine. Um, and Joe, as ever, was his usual genial self as our host. And, yeah, it was a, it was a very, very pleasant occasion. I mean, I've I've seen pictures of, of these events and, you know, um, the, Lynn goes there, Pat Raybould goes there from the uh, family zone and it yes, does look Pat. really yeah. exciting. Yeah, yeah. Really, really, really nice. I saw Pat there. And <laughs> one of the jokes of the day was Joe had said to me, as he said, he said to Oggy, actually, um, we I wear collar and tie, he says. That is the, supposed to be the, the dress code. He said lots of people these days don't bother, but many of them do. And he said that to me three times. So I thought, okay, I better wear a collar and tie. Um, I mean, through the pandemic, the number of times I've actually put proper shoes on, never mind a collar and tie, is, it, it's almost become a strange thing to do, really. But anyway, yes, so I thought, right, okay, he's having the, the full moniker today. So collar and tie, three-piece suit, all the business. And when he introduced me to have a chat, Joe said, my wife says you've got a lovely suit. I said, that's very kind of her, but have you seen Pete Chambers? I don't know whether you know Pete Chambers, who runs the Coventry Music Museum. He was wearing exactly the same jacket. And he said, I've got no. the, the waistcoat and the trousers as well. I just didn't bother putting them on today. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we got, we got um, clothes from the same cloth, basically. I did. I did see a picture on Facebook this afternoon of, of you actually. Yeah. Oh, you did. Yeah. You did all look very smart. A lot of you. So um, <laughs> we're here to talk about. Um, um, this is a great honour to have you on uh, an MBA. Um, su superb. I mean, but we'll start off MBA. I mean, you've met Her Majesty. What I've was been it very like? lucky to. We we compared MPEs actually because Joe, of course, is MBE as well. And I said, who did you get yours from? And he said, from the king. Well, it was, obviously, he was Prince Charles at the time uh, at Buckingham Palace. Of these, More recently, they've been at Windsor Castle, partly because of the pandemic. Um, but he said, yeah, from Prince Charles at Buckingham Palace, which was lovely, he said, but I wish I'd met the Queen. And I said, well, I was fortunate enough to do precisely that, 6th of April, 1995 um it was just a wonderful experience to meet her majesty and um so such a proud day and a great memory even more so now of course oh i mean it's, uh, I mean, it's touched everyone's hearts i think i mean yeah. i went down to london today um went down for a couple of hours for some work uh and i was over by westminster and everyone the queues are just going for miles and miles yeah. and miles i mean yeah. it's, it's I mean, what respect that is. I mean, did you did you watch the game last night on the red button or 
I did, yeah. yes. I watched it on the red button. Some other people I noticed watched it on uh, iPlayer where you see the replays and stuff. Now, on red button, you don't see the replays, and you get the, the, even though they've got a full camera team there, you only get the one locked off camera or the live camera, as it were, mm. showing you the pictures. But um, on red button last night, we had a, a proper commentator, Alan Parry, so he knows what he's talking about. And it was great to hear his, his description of what was going on. We didn't get to see the replays, but if you go on to various things online, Sky Blue TV, I think, amongst them, uh, you can see the, the, the replays later, um, mm. which, is, which is always useful. Um, yeah, I, I watched it um, and I was doing this for the first 20 minutes or so. You know, what, what, what the heck is going on there? Um, but second half, it was a different story, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 we, we said that um, second half maybe changed because Dabo got forward a lot more. When Dabo can push forward, it sort of pushes everyone back and puts us on the front foot. And, yeah. um, you know, that, that probably changed, changed the way that we played in the second half. Uh, Panzo, I thought, it, you know, he came on and put Doyle on the right-hand side. And I thought Doyle played better on the right-hand side of the back three than he did as, uh, on the left-hand side. So, yeah. you know, it was just... Uh, I mean, what was it like on the television, hearing the minute silence and then hearing the anthem? How 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 did the, the stand or the stadium sound on television? Red, red, red button is a bit funny sometimes because you don't probably get the full appreciate the full atmosphere that you may possibly do when I play. I don't know, but uh, see, it, I, I was, it, it looked, it looked very good. It looks, it was properly observed and, and so it should be. Um, I, I didn't get quite the full uh, impression of it all. I have to say from red button, but I think that's just a consequence of the way that works really. But I know mm. it looked as if people did observe it absolutely properly. I was very impressed. I have to say just going off, topic for a second by what Rangers did because they were told by UEFA no national anthems which is absolute nonsense and quite rightly they had the full two minute silence which the referee was too scared to allow Liverpool to do the night before he gave them was it 25 seconds or something um because mm. he was a bit concerned about what was going to happen I think he'd obviously been forewarned what Liverpool fans have maybe unfairly what Liverpool fans have done in the past with the national anthem but they seem to observe that well, albeit briefly, but Rangers, I thought, were magnificent last night. Not only did they observe the silence, but they then sang God Save the King brilliantly, um, the mm. Scots. And so fair play to them. And Scotland's been through a lot uh, regarding the death of Her Majesty in the, in the past week or so, but they responded brilliantly, I thought. But no, that's going off the point of Coventry City, isn't it? Um, I, I presume, I don't know whether we'll get to do the same thing for our next home match, whenever our next home match is. First um, of October, I think. Yeah, possibly. So maybe maybe we'll get the opportunity to do that. I don't know. But yes, I mean, quite right that football should observe it like that. Yeah, I mean, going on to that range, as I've seen a picture that they did, the fans had the Union Jack uh, with, the, you know, holding the square pieces of paper up and then they had the Queen's head in the middle. I mean, that was just The silhouette phenomenal. of the Queen, yeah. Yeah. It was superbly done. Fair play to them. Yeah, brilliant. Now, listen, you've been in you've been in uh, radio commentary for a long, long time. <clears throat> We're going to go right back to the beginning. <laughs> How did it all start with you with Mercia? Well, Mercia sounds well with Mercia. <clears throat> I'd already been in radio um, for a while before I got to Mercia. I'd, I'd started my career with uh, hospital radio in Birmingham, where which is where I where I was born and where I was brought up. Um, and local radio got underway in 1970 um, with BBC Radio Birmingham, it was called then, at Pebble Mill, the Pebble Mill Studios. And I made a nuisance of myself, basically, and got myself a, a, a job, uh, if job is the word, part-time reading local football results and things like that. I've always been very keen on, on sport. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then um, in 1974, a friend of mine who I'd met at uh, radio Birmingham, we'd gone off to work elsewhere, phones me up out of the blue and said, I'm starting a radio station in Sheffield. Um, it'll be Sheffield's first commercial radio station called Radio Hallam. Uh, would you be interested in coming to work with us? So I said, in, in, in what role? So he said, well, I'm looking for a sports editor. Now, what he didn't tell me, um, and we became lifelong, sadly, he's no longer with us. Ian Rufus, his name. Um, sadly, he's no longer with us, but he, he became lifelong friends. Um, and we already were mates, but he, he didn't tell me that he'd already approached you. Remember, if you remember the BBC commentator, Tony Gubber, mm, Tony's yes. brother, Ron Gubber, was also a, a, an excellent sports journalist. Um, and um, he'd approached Ron Gubber 
to be his sports editor, but he couldn't afford him. He couldn't run, wanted far too much money. Uh, and I guess he knew I'd be a cheap gig. So he offered me the job of sports editor at Radio Hallam, which I grasped with both hands. And we covered six football clubs, Sheffield Wednesday and United, Rotherham United, Chesterfield, Barnsley and Doncaster Rovers. Uh, both cricket clubs, Yorkshire and Derbyshire. Um, Sheffield Rugby Union, although they weren't such a big deal, really. Um, Speedway in Sheffield, Greyhounds from time to time, and so on. It was I, I really enjoyed my time there. And then six years on, 1980, Ian Rufus had moved on somewhere else, and then he phoned me again to say um, he was he'd been news editor at Radio Hallam. He was now going to be program controller of this new radio station in Coventry called Mercia Sound. Would you like to come and join me at Mercia and do very much the same as you'd done in Sheffield? So I thought long and hard about this because I was in, enjoying life in Sheffield, if I'm honest. I'd got a really good gig there, really comfortable way of life. Um, I went horse riding a couple of times a week, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I was was well in with the local sporting community. I got on very well with the with the managers. Uh, we'd had people like Harry Haslam and Jack Charlton there and and so on. And it was it was good. I, 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 and I, it's a lovely place, Sheffield. Like Rome, it's built on seven, seven hills and it's a, a lovely, lovely city. Um my wife wasn't too keen about coming back. She was, she, she was, her father was um, from Sheffield and she wanted to stay there really. And um, although I'd met her in Birmingham <clears throat> and uh, she, so we had a bit of a, a contretemps there, but in the end I thought, you know what? I'm probably a bit stuck in a rut. There were all the other issues at Hallam where they offered me things and then didn't offer me things and rather messed me about. And that made my mind up. So I came to Coventry um, and I was supposed to be sports editor, which I was, and do the afternoon show um, called Afternoon Delight from Tuesday to Friday so I could have Monday off having worked the weekend on sport. And almost the day before we launched, I'd said to her, look, Tuesday to Friday sounds a bit odd. If I can't do the full week, I'd rather not do it. So I said, look, I'll do sport and I'll do Monday to Friday as well. By which time I changed wives, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm still with the partner I met at Mercia and, and we're happily married now with two sons and two lovely grandchildren. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so I ended up doing that. And then as time moves on, uh, various people, including Ian, uh, in the management's team above me moved away and moved on. And I moved into eventually as programme controller and then managing director at Mercia. But yeah, we had, I had a great time. And of course, including famously the, the 87 Cup run. And you know when you were doing the sports editing, and I know back then it was it was a bit more. I remember uh, Martin Winch telling me about when you had to um, commentate on a game, you had to get permission from the club first. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, you did. When in fact, if I go back to the days at Radio Hallam, <clears throat> um, we had no <clears throat> excuse me, no um, network agreement for commercial radio. There's only um, eighteen or nineteen stations, if not if, if fewer than that, actually. Um, and there was no deal with the Football Association or the Football League or anything like that. And all the clubs were, were quite content that then the new local station, BBC Radio Sheffield, already existed. So they were already doing things. And they were quite content that we started in alongside them, except for Sheffield United. And they took the view, hang on a minute, you're a commercial radio station, unlike BBC Radio Sheffield. You're going to be making money out of this. We want a share of that. Um, and so I said, no. Why? Why should I? Why should we pay when Radio Sheffield doesn't pay? The local newspapers also make money off the back of you with their, in those days, a Saturday evening pink, and yeah. it was called the Pinken in Sheffield, uh, as well as the, the the daily local paper. They carry advertising off the back of covering football and so on. Why should we pay money? They said, well, you're not coming in if you don't pay. That lasted one match because um, the first match where Sheffield United were at home, in those days at Bramall Lane, there was a lowish lowish wall it was above head height it was probably i don't know seven or eight feet high um on the other side of which was the one end of the ground um the terraces so what we did was we took the radio car along and we put a seat on the top of the radio car and one of our reporters sat on top of it and commentated or described we didn't we couldn't do commentary but he described what he could see and what he couldn't see, the fans on the other side of the wall were telling him what was going on. So Sheffield and I just said, OK, this is nonsense. You might as well come in. But no, we That's couldn't brilliant. do commentary in those days. And in fact, when Mercia started, we couldn't do commentary. We did, it was six 30-second flashes of reports from the ground, goal flashes they were called, even though we went over there at other times to the goals. Um, six flashes per half, per match rather, three in each half, plus 
pre-match, half-time and full-time. Um, we, we, we didn't do commentaries, a very rare occasion did commentaries, and then they did expect to pay a bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you, you, you've interviewed so many people in, in your time. I mean, has there, has there been some one out store out class story that will make us laugh for the rest of our lives that we can tell everyone and say Yogi and I were talking about this to some extent today. Who was your favorite manager and who was the, the worst manager you've ever met and all and so on? And 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 memories from that. There's there's one interview that comes straight to mind. It's not an interview that I did actually. I don't know whether you remember whether people uh, watching and joining us remember a chap called Tom Wadrop who was um, the voice of Coventry City Football Club on the Tannoy system for many, many years. Mm. Tom worked for Coventry Hospital Radio, and he also did some work for me at Mercier. He became a, a good friend and, and read results and things like that for us. And it was the night, I'm pretty certain it was the night of that 4-3 match, was it, against Nottingham Forest in the League Cup? Oh, the League the League Cup when uh, Kevin Gallagher scored that, I think um, that one. the keeper, was... didn't he? Yeah, it was certainly yeah. one of those around that time. And Brian Clough was manager of Forest. And Tom Wadrop said, I went to school with Brian Clough. I'll get you an interview. Wow. Now, he did go to the same school as Brian Clough. To say he went to school with Brian Clough was stretching it a bit because I think there was a couple of years between them. Anyway, I said to Tom, if you can get an interview with Cloughy, great, off you go. And the Nottingham Forest team turned up in their coach and uh, Tom was hanging around with his tape recorder over his shoulder looking for Brian Clough, not a sign of him. Um, and the driver and the coach looked out the window and said, you're looking for somebody? He said, I'm looking for Mr Clough. He's always in the coach. So he opened the door of the coach and Tom climbs up and there's Brian Clough chatting away. The team had gone in, the coaches had gone in, all the pre-match stuff was going on. Cloughy was still sitting on the coach. And as he sat next to him, this wave of something that had been consumed alcoholic was coming from Cluffy towards Tom and he realised that he was perhaps in his cups a little bit uh, as was the case sadly in those days with Cluffy, brilliant brilliant man though he was um, and Tom did this interview with Brian Clough and the one line that I remember so strongly from that was um, Tom said to him, of course if you win this you're on the way to Wembley and Cluffy just said, ah yes Wembley I should work at Wembley England play there that was the line that we, we ran on news the following day. Uh, it was just a magic moment with, with him. And, and I met Brian Clough a few times over the years. I'm pretty delighted to say he was a difficult man sometimes. But yeah, there were some, some great days. And of course, the 87 Cup run was was just wonderful. And some great moments with, with Snoz and, and, and George Curtis. I mean, you, you bring up uh, Snoz and, and George. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I met them a couple of times. I remember... Uh, George being in the in the bar behind this the sky blue stand. Do you remember that bar that was below, wasn't it? it? He used yeah, to go yeah. in there and, yeah. and serve the pints and things like that. And then yeah. um George met on a few occasions. I mean, they were just gents. I mean, for you as a person to know them as well, because wasn't you um is it George, George's best mate, were you? Was, was it is that what I was said at his funeral? I wouldn't say I was his best mate, I was certainly a good friend of George. A good and friend, his family. yeah. Yeah. And I was very honoured, actually, when George's widow, Inga, called me after George had died and said, um, there's only one person can do the eulogy for us. Um, uh, would, would you do it? I said, that's extreme. I wasn't expecting that at all. I'm, I'm, so I was extremely honoured to be asked, Inga. Thank you. I'll do my best. And, yes, yeah, so I delivered the eulogy at the cathedral for him uh, and for the family. And um, yeah, he was it was he was a lovely man. He, he, we lived not far from him at the time. And... Um, he used to drive his car. Sometimes he would go out of his way to drive past our house if he thought it was a fine day and I might just be mowing the lawn in the front of the garden or something. And if he saw me, he'd pull the car up outside and he said, Oi! And he'd call me over. George, how are you doing? He said, never mind how I'm doing. He said, I've been listening to you on the radio. You say the wrong thing about Coventry City and I'll come round the middle of the night and I'll repaint your garage doors. Never mind what colour they are. Stuff like that. He was a, he was a great great guy, and I, and, I, and I miss him and Snoz hugely. Snoz was was a tremendous um, manager and a tremendous coach. George, as as Oggy said today, George wasn't a coach and wasn't a manager. Had no pretensions of being, but they had this chemistry between them, as we know, um, that that really created the atmosphere and made it fun for the players in many ways. And mm. that was really what I think inspired 
that team of players, that group of men to do what they did. Yeah. I mean, do, do you think it's a bit like Mark Robbins and Aidy Vardash? Uh, are they similar in you personalities? Can you can make that comparison. I mean, I know, I know Mark a, a, a bit. I don't know AD quite so much um, other than what I've observed like everybody else, but it seems they get on famously well. And I remember um, before the pandemic, I would go to a press conference at Wrighton and I think it was Andy Turner from the Coventry Telegraph um, was talking about 85. Actually, I think uh, AD had signed a new contract at the time or something. And he said to Mark Robbins, do you think he's made you a better manager? And Mark said, without even a second thought, he said, absolutely, no question. I'm a better man better manager, thanks to, to AD. And of course, we all know the fans just warmed to AD, didn't they? The day that silly fan ran on the pitch, was it last season? And yeah. uh, was ran down the length of it and the stewards couldn't catch him. AD just stood firm. And as the fan tried to swerve around him, AD just did a slight body shave and the kid went flying. <laughs> Right too. Um, now, I, I think there could be a comparison there. As I said, I don't know AD as well, but there could be a comparison there between Curtis and Sillip. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're saying about AD there after the Warsaw game pre-season. I went. We stayed behind, and uh, AD come out, and I went up to him and I says, hey, "Can I get a little quick interview with you?" Like you know, and he goes, "No, no." I said, "Well, can I just have a photo?" Then he went, "Yeah." <laughs> That's all he said. He didn't say yeah. nothing else. Didn't have a. Uh, that was it. And when you stand next to him, I, that bloke who got hit, he must have got knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, he shouldn't have run on the pitch, should he? No, he shouldn't. Absolutely right. <laughs> so, um, get, I mean, going on to your, your commentary um, career, with going into like BBC CWR and everything, I mean, you know when you're in the... I asked Winchy this. When you're in an interview room after a game, I mean, how do you come up with your questions? Well, in recent years, of course, it was Winchy doing the interviews rather than rather than me. But yes, I, I mean, it, it, you you you've got to basically just rewind the match in your head, um, and the first question really needs to be something along the lines of you can vary it and change it a little bit, but something along the lines of how did you see the match to the manager? That's the intro. Get him to tell you. Get him to go through the match in his mind, how he saw it, and what he says then gives you the clue of what you're going to ask him next and what you're going to say next. And he might say something about, you know, um, last night, for example, he might have said um, Michael Rose being injured unsettled us. And that might give you a, a bit of a clue to then talk to him about the problems he's got in defence. And I don't know whether you've seen the interview who gave Andy Turner after last night's match, but he pulled absolutely no punches, no punches at all. It was very clear what he was saying. And if those people that need to read it, haven't read it, and I'm talking about people at the football club, then they really should, because he, he was absolutely clear that um, he'd been left with the bare bones, particularly in defence, with the sale of mm. Dominic Hyam, uh, and now Michael Rose is injured. What happens if somebody else gets injured now? They've The club has got a problem there. Um, and the question then comes, as many people have been debating lately, well, what about all these players who are available, unattached, um, haven't got clubs at the moment? And if you then look down the list of players, particularly those that Andy has published in the Telegraph, um, and I think it's well documented elsewhere as well, I think the youngest was 32. Many of them are in their mid-30s. There's even one or two that are pushing 40. And he's saying, basically, we're saying they're free and available for a reason. Yeah. And first of all, if you find one that you think, for all sorts of reasons, might fit the bill, he's then got to get up to speed fitness-wise because he may well have been keeping himself fit in basic training, but he's not match fit. And weeks have gone by already now. Um, he needs to be ready to come into my side now. And it's going to be, if we took somebody on board like that, it will be three or four weeks before they would be ready. I need somebody now in case somebody else gets injured. If Carl McFadden gets injured or or, or Panzo gets injured or, or, or somebody, Doyle gets injured, I need somebody now to come into the side. And he just doesn't have those resources. And that's his problem. But equally, the way he's talking, he's not inclined to do that for precisely those reasons that there, there's mm. nobody there that he thinks would fit the bill for him straight away. Now, he may well sign somebody, you know, it, he may feel he has no choice when he looks around him at the available resources, but that's a, a real issue for him. And he was pulling no punches as to where he thinks the, if blame is the word, the responsibility perhaps is better for all of that lies because, you know, we came into this season off the back of, okay, a season we didn't win the league. We didn't, get promotion. We didn't make the playoffs, but we had a really good season last season. All those 
stoppage time winners and all the fun that we had with the side. And the side played really well. Yeah, We enjoyed it. Record season ticket sales for this season. We're all on a high the coming forward. And we kept Hamer. We kept O'Hare. We kept Jokeris. And we're thinking, yeah, we've kept the big three. What can go wrong now? Who are you going to bring in? Well, they bring in Casey Palmer. Now, Casey Palmer is a very talented footballer. But Casey Palmer has struggled a bit to make his mark elsewhere. Managers have struggled to get the best out of him. Is Casey Palmer in the team at the moment? He's not. So that's a question mark. I'm sure Mark Robbins and 85 Ash are working on that right now. Um, and who else have we signed? We brought in Doyle on loan. Good signing. He looks a good player. Um, we, we signed a kid that was supposed to replace Matson from Crystal Palace. Went straight back because he's clearly not in Matson's category. He's clearly not ready, not good enough. Mm. So it's all, everybody feels a bit deflated. Then you get the pitch fiasco where we don't play for three matches when we should, which he should have played, uh, which then leads to the sale of Hyam because they need, apparently, they need to get the, the cash in that they've missed from those, from the match day revenues. That's so the story goes. I don't know whether that's true. I presume it is. There must be something behind it, I guess, because the story is that Blackburn offered far more than we've apparently mm. had this time earlier in the summer. If that's the case, then obviously there was a bit of panic going on and Mark Robbins is clearly not happy about that and who can blame him? Um, so th I thought that was a fascinating interview we gave to Andy Turner after last night's match and it's not the first time he said those things. No, I mean, I listened to it on the way back on the coach, uh, his interview with Winchy and um, you could tell that, that, like you've just mentioned about these players that are out of contract, he said, that they, I remember one word he did say or one line, he said, these players are not hungry enough. They can't be hungry enough. And sure. Mark Robbins wants players that are hungry and want to progress. Yes. I mean, you know, and that's important for our team morale, isn't it? Of course it is. Absolutely it is. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, that was one thing that stood out from it. But then I do believe though, after the game, it's the happiest the fans have seen him since the beginning of the season. He was he was smiling when he was going off the pitch. He was smiling. He was happy. He stayed a bit longer on the pitch when all the players had gone off to take an applause off off the fans, and he he, he gave us a, a round of applause. That's probably the happiest I've seen him. But I know what you're saying now. We we're down to the bare bones. But does that give the likes of say uh, Young Howley an op an opp opportunity to to because obviously Fadzine's probably going to be the first one to get injured out of the three that are left. Do you think that's an opportunity for a young lad like Howley to step into the boots, say to the boss, look at me, I'm good enough, like he's trusted in Eccles? It, it, might, it might be. I mean, what we don't know, what you and I don't know, what the fans don't know is what goes on at the training ground. Mm. Mark Robbins, 85 Ash, and the rest of the coaching staff see that, see those players every day, day in, day out. They see them going through the motions. They assess not only their physical attributes, the point Oggy made to me today, it's not just a physical game, it's a mental game. What 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 state of mind are they in? Are they, as you taking your, your point, are they hungry enough? Do they want it? Do they want to be in this side? Are they going to add to the side if we put them in? Are they going to do a job for us, basically, for us and the supporters? And I think you're right, he probably was happier last night. Uh, than he's been for a while because, and so he should be because that second half performance was. I'm going to I'm going to use the phrase match winning. People may say that's over the top. I don't know because the first 20, 30 minutes were not clever. They weren't great. We were poor defensively. Although we'd look so good going forward, we always do. Mm. Thanks to the fact we have kept Hamer and Yokeris and Godden and people like that. We're, we're desperate for O'Hare to come back. I think, and hopefully now by the look of it, he's only a week or two away. Um, but. The second half, we were outstanding um, and certainly far better than Luton Town. A friend of mine who I first met way back in those days at BBC Radio Birmingham in 1970 is a Luton fan and he was at the match last night. And my brother-in-law, had been, who's also a season ticket holder at the CBS Arena with me, sent me a message during the course of the first half. With this defence, we're shocking. This is League One defending at best. My mate Graham, who's at Luton, Luton fan sent me a message at half time and said, knowing I'm a commentary supporter saying, Stuart, you should be winning this. 
our defence is shocking. Talking about Luton. So he was saying exactly the same about Luton that my brother-in-law had said about us. And if you if you assess the 90 minutes, their defence is shocking. They were, we, we should have won that last night, actually. And I think that's what he probably, what Mark Robbins probably went off the pitch thinking. Uh, I would imagine it was because he saw his team, he saw his squad come together. What I don't quite get, what I don't quite understand, and again, I th take Augie's point about it being a mental game, getting, it, getting the attitude of the players right, is when things don't work, and we've seen this actually quite a bit in recent months, not just with Coventry City, but particularly with Coventry City, mm. um, when it doesn't work to start with, and the manager's told them, this is what I want you to do, this is how I want you to play, something isn't clicking somewhere. They're forgetting what he said or uh, ignoring what he said or because somebody else is doing something they don't think is right, it isn't all slotting together. Uh, so he gets them together at half-time, sits them down and gives them a... Maybe I don't suppose he throws teacups necessarily, but he might do. Um, and then reminds them of the, what the job they've got to do. And suddenly they're a different different team. And I know people talk about the old cliche game of two halves. It wasn't quite that last night because I think we we were better just before half time anyway. Yeah. But um, I, I'm I'm I got every right to be pleased coming off the pitch after that yesterday because we could and should have won that match. I I mean yeah I mean we we, we could have won it. I mean we should have been one nil up before. Yeah. Luton scored, and I, I I don't know what was going through Vic's mind at the time because you could see it from behind. RN that he, he maybe yeah. should have slotted it to the right-hand side of the keeper, the widest side. Something you learn when you're younger, widest side of the goal and, and yeah. you know, it's going in the back of the net. But the way we came back in that second mm -hmm. half, it showed, um, it reminded me of last season's performances. We never, we didn't give up last night. As you said, they came together all of a sudden, didn't they? And, yeah. and it yeah. started to click. I mean, Alan had one save. The keeper made a superb save, went over the bar. Uh, but then, there was a dubious penalty decision at the other end. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the the camera angle wasn't great, um, and it, it's all it all happened very very quickly. And I've not seen it slowed down, so it's difficult to actually say it was probably the best goalkeeping save you've ever seen in your life. But um, people that were there and who did see it real time, real close, said that it should have been a penalty. Um, so maybe we got away with that one. But hey, Miles, I'll tell you what. We're entitled to get away with one now and yeah. again because far too often in the past we haven't. I know, I know. It's, it's. I mean, when you look at some of the, like Millwall, um, Hamer, silly decision going in for that, you know, shoulder barge, missed him, took him out, got sent off, things like that. Just it hasn't yeah. really been going our way, has it? To be honest no. with you. No. But um, I mean, going on to um, you know, the, the, this season. I mean, as you said earlier on, we were so good last season. I mean, in your career, I mean, you're saying 87, it was that possibly the greatest uh, season that, that you've ever seen? But Or is it last season? Because what I seen last season, the togetherness of the team was just phenomenal, wasn't it? It was. I mean, 87 obviously sticks out because of what we achieved. We actually won one of the premier trophies in the world, never mind this country, we won the FA Cup. And I, and I don't care what Jurgen Klopp and other people say about it. It is a top trophy to win. And if he won it, he'd be thrilled to bits. Um, <clears throat> and I think, actually, the season or two that followed that under Snoz, who I think was very unfairly treated by the board when he finally left the club, um, I mean, we finished seventh in the Premier League, for crying out loud. And, you know, we, 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 we were good. We were good. Um, last season, we were fun. I'm not saying we were good. We weren't bad. We, we, it was enjoyable to watch, but we didn't. Um, we didn't look as if we were going to. We, we did for a bit look as if we might make the playoffs, didn't we? But it, we, we we knew, I think, realistically that really was going to be a, a push to make it. Mm. And in the end, we probably finished more or less where we should have done. Um, but it was fun. We enjoyed it. We enjoyed our football. The rapport and the the relationship between the players. And the supporters has never been stronger. So it was really good from that point of view. And so we all looked forward, and hence the season ticket sales going through the roof. We all looked forward to what was going to happen this season. Uh, we saw the emergence of a rock star in the, in the camp in Callum O'Hare. <laughs> Up the road from where I live, you've got the War Memorial Park, where there he was with his BBC Big Weekend on stage you know, rocking it away with his glasses on, all the sunglasses, all the rest of it. I mean, great stuff. Huge, re fun relationship that the fans still have with him and with the players. But we need 
We need some performances like the second half last night. We need to see them at home, particularly mm. over these three matches we got in hand. I mean, we win those three and we're on 11 points and yeah. we're, you know, in a mid-table position and that's not bad at all. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not pessimistic about this season. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> and, um, I mean, you're saying O'Hare. For, for me, um, and we'll come on to some questions soon. There's people messaging in here, so okay. we've got some questions for you. But um, O'Hare, for me, is key. Uh, literally, he is... He's the little key that fits in the lock and to yep. open the box. Yep. I mean, you, your thoughts? About Callum? Yeah. I think Callum is um, a huge talent. I think it's interesting that when uh, Gerard went to Aston Villa, uh, he thought O'Hare was still there and he didn't realise he'd moved. And um, he, he said, can we can we sign him back? He wanted to get him back to Aston Villa because he, he'd yeah. already clocked what a good talent, great talent he was. And he thought he could probably fill the gap that, that had been left um, in that club when they sold somebody for a ridiculously huge fee. So, um, yeah, he's, he's a great talent. There's bits in his game that he's still got to put together. We know that he, his strike rate should improve. We know that he's capable of scoring more goals than he has done. We need to see that um, from him. But he drives us forward. He, as you say, he probably does. is the key that turns turns the lock. And with Hammer, Hamer, Hammer, however you want to pronounce it, alongside him. Uh, and what a great strike that was last night. I mean, people were on Twitter saying, why is he firing such a, so many long shots in? When they, doesn't, he, doesn't he ever learn? Well, I tell you what, look at the goal he scored. That's why he does it. Mm. Yeah, well, he took his time, didn't he? Yeah, we, yeah. We, we were saying when he rushes, he gets frustrated yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it sort of goes over. But that yeah. that that decision he made last night, it was just a gentle touch, thought yeah. about it, looked up and he's just put it into the top corner, hasn't he? And by the way, talking about Harmer and O'Hare, when Gustavo heard the famous song for the first time, In he Blackboard. turned around to his to his um, teammates to say, what are they singing? And the person next to him was Callum O'Hare, who explained to him apparently very patiently what each word meant, including the naughty bits, <laughs> which he which he hadn't really understood properly before. And he burst out laughing when he realised. Now, of course, he sings along with the rest of us. <laughs> I know. I heard a little bit of his interview and there was some um, Coventry words coming out of his mouth. I think he's been <laughs> hanging around with Juggy too much, I reckon. <laughs> now, I, I know you're um, very good friends with Bobby Gold. We're good mates, yeah. We've known each other for a long oh, time. I mean, what was that like when he was manager? I mean, it must have been special, that. Because he's yes, a wonderful he bloke. Oh, he's, he's, he's a lovely man. Um, I remember when he first came to Coventry, um, there was all sorts of things flying around. He's, at the, he's in the ground, he's at Highfield Road, he's watching the team uh, and whatever. And I came off the air last night with all of that sort of speculation spinning around and we talked about that on the air that Saturday evening. And I got a phone call from uh, a mutual friend. And I don't know whether people in Coventry will remember the name Jack Leavers, but Jack was a, a great, great school teacher. And among, apart from that, the football club used him to teach uh, and help educate some of the young apprentices. And he knew Bobby from way, way back when Bobby was a schoolboy player in Coventry. Um, and he said, um, what's all this you're talking about Bobby being there? So I said, well, that's what we were talking He said he wasn't there. I said, where was he? He said he was shopping with his wife in Bristol. Do you want his phone number? Did I want his phone number? So I said, well, Jack, if you provide me, gave me the phone number. So I phoned Bobby Gould and he said, who are you? So I said, I'm Stuart and L from, uh, from Mercia Sound in, in Coventry, local radio station. He said, right, okay, how'd you get my phone number? So I said, well, a mutual friend. He said, don't tell me, Jack Leavers. He knew straight away. So I said, well, as it happens, Jack is a friend of the family. He said, oh, is he? I said, yeah, yeah. He tells me you were shopping with your wife. He said, did he tell you that? Okay. Well, I said, and what we want to know is, are you going to be taken over as manager? Have you signed the deal? He said, I'll give you the answer on Monday morning when you come to my office at Highfield Road. Be there at nine o'clock. So that told me that he was. And we were able to run the story that he was going to be there. And I met him for the first time that Monday morning. Um, and I don't know who else had turned up, what other reporters had turned up. But I went dressed in what I usually wear, collar and tie and a blazer. I don't know who else had turned up and what they looked like, but he said, you're the best-dressed reporter I've seen today. And we just got on famously from there. We became good friends. Um, we've cried together uh, at, at about this football club. We've cried together. We've laughed together. Um, his back garden, let me tell you, in Bristol, 
it could be Wembley. We talk about the pitch at Highfield at Highfield Road at the CBS Arena not being what it should be. He, they could do with Bobby Gould looking after it because I tell you what, his 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 lawn is immaculate, lines cutting it, patterns cutting it is wonderful. But no, he's he's, he's a good friend and uh, and I get on get on really well with him. And uh, he and his brother Trevor, of course. I mean, I remember that when we uh, the last game at Highfield Road, and um, we all come on the pitch, and it was before mobile phones, wasn't it? So we, my wife was with me, and we had one of them normal cameras. Yeah. And I climbed up, I climbed up into the director's seats because Joe was there, and uh, Bobby was there, and uh, I t- turned the camera around to try and do a selfie with me and Bobby Gold. <laughs> <laughs> And I got him to sign my shirt because I had a pen on me and he signed, he signed one of my shirts that I was We were wearing. talking, Oggy and I were talking about the last match at Highfield Road today about what a fantastic day it was because um, I remember very clearly they'd asked me to introduce the players onto the pitch beforehand, the legends. Mm. Snoz was there, Peter Hill, George Curtis. Um, the, the, if you remember, the day started at two o'clock with the West Midlands Police Band and then we introduced the players and Mike McGinnity was the chairman. Um, keen for things to get on, get on, but of course the players needed to come out and take a bow and have the, the applause. And what we weren't expecting was what happened with the very last person I was going to introduce, because Jimmy Hill had only a few weeks before that had a, I'm going to say major, I mean major operation. He hadn't been well at all, but he runs, he sprints from the dugout, the the, the tunnel rather, to the centre of the of the pitch, and then he sings the Sky Blue song. At the top of his voice, I mean, it just brilliant. But the other memory I've got of that, just by the by, is while we were doing all of this, and we went on till about quarter to three, ten to three, and we had to clear the pitch for the players. But the Derby players were our players were warming up, but the Derby players were warming up, and the Derby captain, I forget who it was now, but anyway, he came up to me and he said, "How much longer is this going to go on for?" So I said, "Well, we, we've got all these people going on, be a good half an hour." So yeah, he said. What a so-and-so circus this is. We're supposed to be so-and-so professional football club. I said, it's our last match here. You've got to understand people want to say goodbye to you. Well, it serves you right to believe in it. And, of course, they were in then a frame of mind like that. And we blew them away, didn't we, in the yeah. game? So, oh, you know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and they got what they deserved as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, is it? I mean, wasn't it hot? I mean, they, they say about... They say about these games, you know, Millwall and that when it was red hot and having drinks yeah. breaks. We never yeah. even heard of drinks breaks on that yeah. day. Yeah. It was roasted. I mean, yeah. you just mentioned Jimmy Hill. I mean, what an absolute legend. And, and yeah. as you say, how he ran out on the pitch and got everyone singing. I mean, as a man, was he, was he a legend like we all think he was? He is a legend. Somebody said to me today, and forgive me for making the analogy because it's probably not a, a fair one, but somebody said to me today, you must be very proud to have met the Queen because I'm fortunate enough to get the MBE and I, and I did. Uh, and meeting the Queen was a great, great honour, probably the best ever in my life. Um, football honour was meeting Jimmy Hill. I was, from a football perspective, almost in awe when I first met JH as I was when I met the Queen later in a totally different perspective. He was, to me, the ultimate legend, um, football-wise, because he'd taken this unfashionable club, turned it into a club that lived quite rightly, quite comfortably in the top flight of English football. Yes, he'd had its scares with relegation, but he took it up there. Um, And then he decided, well, I've done that. He didn't get the contract he wanted from Derek Robbins, otherwise he might have stayed on a bit longer. But uh, he went and carved himself out a career as a groundbreaking television presenter. Um, the, he, he came up with all sorts of innovations and the one I keep reminding my friends about that not many people have made a fuss about I don't know why, but the one thing he never managed to persuade, because three points for a win was his, uh, no pass backs to the goalkeeper w- was his um, but the one thing he never managed to get across was he wanted to change the offside law and what he wanted to do was to take the, the penalty area and extend the end of it to the touchline by broken dots so you had the 18-yard line would be there, basically. And you couldn't be offside unless you were the goal side of the 18-yard line. Now, I'm not quite sure what that would have done to the game, but I think it would have opened it up to make it tremendously exciting. But he couldn't persuade people that was a good idea. But that apart, his innovations and his approach to football and his love of football 
was just second to none. And he, whenever I was with him, and I'm not the only one by any means, but when any, any reporter was with him, he knew what you were about and he always made sure you went away with a story. He was a lovely man. I was I was unlucky never to meet him. Unfortunately, I would have I would have loved to have, have met him. I mean, he, he just what everyone tells me, like you're telling me now, and telling the fans and what we've heard about him. He, he was just a legend, wasn't he? I mean, I seen a clip on YouTube the other day of him on Match of the Day, and um, he had a tie on, and this tie had some pattern on it. But then in between each pattern down the tie, he had our elephant and ball. Yeah. He had our cob badge on his ties. Yeah. I mean, that's just. And Joe was saying, Joe Elliott yeah. was saying to me today how how good it was that um, before he, he died, he was able to be um, at the Rico Arena as it was for the unveiling of his statue. He was able to be present that mm. day. Uh, and I said to Joe, yeah, that it was wonderful that that happened. What was even more wonderful, in my view, was that some two or three years, possibly a bit more after that, a Sunderland, we were playing Sunderland, and a Sunderland fan, absolutely out of his mind with booze. He must have drunk his way from Sunderland to Coventry, stood in front of it and told this statue off for what had happened some 40 years before. They'll never forget it, Sunderland, will they? And we <laughs> no, won't no. let them. <laughs> no, we don't need to let them. Let no, them we don't need it. to let them. <laughs> so I've got um, a couple of comments here. Uh, Glenn, Glenn Watkins has um, messaged us. He says, uh, just wanted to say that uh, a true Sky Blue legend Stuart is. Pleasure meeting him as a young kid. Uh, when he was doing the Mercia radio show with John Sullet. Do you remember that? I do. Thank Well, thank you, Glenn, very much indeed. Uh, John worked for us um, when he finished um, as a manager. He worked for us uh, at, at Mercia doing some co-commentary. Co used to travel the country with him. Uh, very often we'd travel on the train. And needless to say, whenever any fans saw that it was Snoz, um, they wanted his autograph they wanted i mean there weren't too many mobile phones i don't think around at the time but um they just wanted to meet him shake him by the hand and chat to him and he was chat, chatting with everybody he was a, he was a lovely lovely man and, and we had a great time traveling the country with him yeah oh that's just pretty i mean how glenn remembers that i don't know how he does <laughs> <laughs> well he did, he did many shows with us at mercy snoz he used to come into the studio quite often um as did bobby gould indeed and um yeah so thank you for that glenn yeah, um, Victoria has put spot on, Glenn. Just hearing Stuart voice, uh, <laughs> makes you think of the Sky Blues. I mean, you everyone just remembers you for Sky Blues, really, don't they? I mean, commentary, and you know, you later in your later career, you, you were just um doing the introduction show before the games, Clive doing the commentary and things like that. I mean, com commentating wise. Did, did you prefer doing that or did you just like doing the pre-show and then let someone else do it? I really enjoyed commentary. It's, it's, it's a, it's not an easy art. Um, you've got to be able to describe accurately and fairly what you're seeing. And I think from time to time, in my case, um, my personal views might've crept in when I was trying to be fair and perhaps wasn't the best commentator as far as Coventry city is concerned, in my view, bar none was my, my good friend at BBC WM who um, uh, sadly decided he would move on um, to uh, to do other things. And um, you know who I'm talking about. He was he was one of the one of the nicest men. Well, he still is one of the nicest men in the world. Um, and and he he was uh, his, his his facts and figures at his fingertips are just um, are just endless. I mean, now I'm saying that I'm I'm. Stumbling stupidly, stumbling for his name. Why can't I remember? How pathetic! <laughs> anyway, um, you, you know what? You know who I mean. No. Um, oh, somebody will remind me quickly now. I feel embarrassed at not remembering because um, I'm. I've been talking so much to argue about other things today. <laughs> it's, it's Don't go ahead. Anyway, it'll come back in a minute. It'll come back. It'll in a come minute. back. Questionnaire. Here you go. There's one back last night. Uh, I know in hindsight it's a wonderful thing. Uh, but do you reckon if Robbins had made a couple of subs, i.e. Palmer for Allen, Waghorn, <clears throat> Walker for Godden, 15, 20 minutes to go, do you think that um, we might have got the winner? It's, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, Bobby, um, Mark Robbins is, is often criticised for not making his substitutions early enough. And of course, these days he can make five in three bursts, as we know, and he didn't do that much last night. But then he felt perhaps he didn't need to. He got the point from it. And again, it comes back to what they see on the training ground, what they think they can um, 
get from it and uh, and and whether bringing on somebody new is going to make any difference to them and um i don't know possibly i think it was a, it was a close call last night because it was quite a fast game wasn't it it yeah. was quite a with the, with the defenses both defenses not being at their best um I, I, may, maybe that would have worked i don't know it, yeah. it, we could all talk be, be uh, rob gurney is who i'm thinking of i was just rob about gurney. to say rob gurney Vic, vic's just reminded me rob gurney yeah. i mean i'm embarrassed i'm embarrassed What's of his name now what is his name slipped my mind because he was a, he's a lovely lad and a good friend. Uh, Rob works for, as far as I know, he's still with BBC WM. He decided that <clears throat> um, he wanted to stretch his legs, as it were, and expand his experience um, and go and work for WM. Therefore, having more teams to to cover and consider, but he'll, he'll always be Coventry City first and foremost. And without doubt, in my mind, Rob was um, without a doubt the best Coventry City radio commentator. He was, ever had. Yeah, he was absolutely. Yeah, he was really. And I, and I say, I'm, I feel really embarrassed that his, his name slipped my mind. <laughs> now, listen, we're, we're running out of time. We've got about five minutes left. But um, one of our um, podcasters, uh, streamers, Ken Stewart, our regulars here, and I think he's got a couple of questions for okay, you. Hold sure. on, I'm just going to add him. He's just, he's just turned up. I don't know where he's been. I think he's been <laughs> down the pub, mate, honest. <laughs> here you go, Ken. Good evening. <laughs> Hi, Ken. Internet all right tonight? <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. No, I, haven't been, I haven't been down the pub. <laughs> Stuart, ask Stuart any questions. You know, we've got about four minutes. Right. Good evening, Stuart. Nice Hi, speaking Ken. to you, mate. Uh, I do good remember good. you from your Mercia Sound days. Um, I actually won a competition years ago. Years ago, I remember on the old Gold Rush thing, and oh, I was yeah, a guest, yeah. guest commentator for the day. Um, I can't remember the commentator. Was it? Could it could have been Rob? I'm not sure. And, and, and that was a brilliant day for me. That was a few years ago now, back at Ifield Road. Um, I was just wondering, out of all the managers, what, what would you, what would your favourite manager have been that you've dealt with? As I say, that's, that's very much what what Oggy was asking me today. Uh, I mean, probably at uh, at Coventry City, probably Snoz. Although I've got to say Bobby Gould because um, Bob, yeah. Bobby's got to be in the frame because he's a good mate of mine. Be wrong to leave him out. But Snoz probably over the period of time we got on really well. Um, and of course, that magical cup run. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I, then with Oggy said, but who's who's the manager you rate highest of all the managers you've ever met? And yeah. I have to say, well, not not a Coventry manager, but probably Howard Wilkinson because he was such a knowledgeable oh. man. Is is such a knowledgeable man about football, a great coach. And then then if you put in the great coaches category, you've got to look at Dave Sexton, who was yes. a brilliant, brilliant coach and a lovely, lovely man, even though Gary Thompson nearly got me sacked um, because he, he gave me, got me into trouble with Dave Sexton. Um, do you remember the Tommy English, Gary Thompson business? Yes, yes, he yes. He tells the story in his book. Um, oh, right. And I, I turned up at the Sky Blue Connection, as it was then, and you had to go to the receptionist and say who you wanted to interview. So I'd like to interview Gary Thompson and Tommy English, please. And the message would go upstairs, and then you'd wait for them to come down and do the interview. They didn't come down. There's <laughs> two steps came half two two feet came halfway down the steps, and this voice yelled at me, "Why do you want those two? Don't answer me. I know why you want those two, and you can't <laughs> talk to them. I know exactly what you're after, and you can't have it." It's Dave Sexton. And then he turned around and gave me a brilliant interview. He said, "Come upstairs. I'll talk to you." And he was great. He was a lovely, lovely man and a great coach. Don Howe was another really, yeah. really good coach. But but Snoz and Bobby Gould alongside each other, as far as Coventry is concerned, if, if of course, you allow for the fact that Jimmy Hill uh, was no longer around as manager. Mm. Well, we had a fantastic team as well under Dave Sexton, if I remember. We did. And then um, didn't, we sold a lot of them, didn't we, if I seem to remember. And then Dave Sexton left, didn't he? And uh, Yeah. Uh, after we saw, we had Danny Thomas and a lot of great youngsters That's at right. the time. Yeah, um, and Dave, Danny Dave Thomas, who went on to win his his first England cap that summer, and then we didn't see him again because he was sold to Tottenham, was it? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah, and another another fantastic player who unfortunately got injured as well, didn't he? When he was at Tottenham, and he he never really yeah. fulfilled his potential, did he? Right, so he's yeah. a fantastic player, and yeah. we've had so many of them uh, good up and coming, if you like. Yeah. Uh, young players, if you like, over the years, which to us were fantastic, and they just didn't quite make when they left us. They yeah. didn't probably go on to better things than they probably deserved to. Indeed, you know, there was many, many players like that. Now, what what was the what was the most awkward manager then? You, you had <laughs> uh, Phil Neal. The best about the awkward one, the one that probably didn't 
maybe he didn't. I'm not saying didn't see eye to eye, but maybe thought maybe you know he, he wasn't he wasn't the best. But I mean, you know, what, what was your? Yeah, I'm sure you've seen a few over the years. Phil Neal, no question. Really? Um, yeah, and, and and I have to say, um, Oggy told me today that he's not in the best of health, so I'm I'm very sorry to hear that. And a great right. footballer, Phil Neal. I mean, 50 caps for England and all of that tells you its own story. Um, but as a manager, he was, I think, personally, he was out of his depth. Um, mm. That 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 documentary with when he was number two to Graham Taylor in England didn't do him any favours. Um, yeah. But he was, we we didn't see eye to eye at all, and we had many a. An interview um, contretemps, shall we say? And I remember the last interview probably he gave me um, mm. just before he was sacked. Uh, we'd we'd lost in the FA Cup, um, and I think it was a replay midweek. And he came to the press box at Highfield Road for me to interview him after the match. And I and I just said to him, I, I thought, look, I've had it with you, pal. I, I didn't say it on the album. <laughs> this was gone through my head. I've really had it with you. I'm just, just going to ask you. I said, do you really think that this cup run has been keeping you in a job? And he just threw their headphones down and walked off. He didn't give me the answer. And I didn't expect him to really. I mean that he that that had been the case. I was a bit unfair to him, but um, he, he wasn't. He was not wasn't easy to talk to, and he wasn't easy to communicate an interview with. Um, and I don't think he was a great coach. So I, I have to say. I'm oh, no. terribly sorry that he's not well, but uh, but I have to say, <laughs> yeah. feel more. Yeah, that so he done a Kevin Keegan then, basically, like he did. <laughs> sort of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did you get on with Big Ron? How did you get on with Big Ron? Because he, I remember very well. A, a bit yeah. of a frosty interview with Richard Keys on the telly, if you remember. Yeah, well, that's not difficult, is it? No, <laughs> that, that, that's not that's not difficult. Keezy, I don't know what's happened to him. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, Big Ron, we have, most of us got on really well with Big Ron. Um, mm. my, my abiding memory of Big Ron was after the match, we'd go into his office and there was this huge stainless steel bowl, really massive bowl full of seafood. Now, these days, mm. as we know, how important it is to wash your hands before you eat or yeah. whatever. And there were reporters just sticking their hands in this. So who knows whose hands washed or not were going in, eating the seafood. So the one, it's a wonder we weren't all really poorly afterwards. But that was it was that and pink champagne for everybody. Um, that, that was B Big Ron's style, but then he got to a point after you'd been there for about half an hour or so. He used to say, That's it, chaps, see you. And that was the clue, the cue for those of us from the local media to go. These three uh, or four mates from the national media would stay with them, and then he'd give them the real story, which would be on the back page of the mirror or wherever on Monday morning. Mm -hmm. But we all know we all got on well with Ron, he was a good guy, yeah. Gordon Strachan, yeah, Strachan. I, I love, I love Strachan, <laughs> yeah. He, he was, he was a he, he and Gordon, I think, it was a bit tense towards the end of uh, yeah. uh, not Gordon Ron towards the end of Ron's time um, mm. with us. But um, when when Strat took over, but no, Strat was a was a nice man. He, I got I got with him really well. Oh, I thought I thought he, he, he got a bit living around here, isn't he? Uh, he I believe he's he got, he got a home down here. Yeah, yeah. No, Although so I think he's also got a home, a family home up in Scotland as well. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, people see him around the Leamington area quite yeah. quite often. Yeah, I thought yeah. he got he got a bit of harsh treatment when we got relegated, and yeah, he did get he got a lot of unfair criticism. I thought because it I was agree. just one of the, you know it was just one of them things at the time, and we never you know he's it, it, not he's not all fully to blame because we had a good team. It was the players yeah. on the pitch, and it, and it, and it's over a season, not just one particular game. Yes. It just happened to be at, at Villa Park, didn't it? Which made it yeah. worse. Yeah, um, yeah. you got to judge your team over the whole season. We just weren't good enough that season, and and that was it. Yeah. But. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully we'll be back one day. So I think we will. I think I think we will. But I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? When you've mm. you've got a manager making it very clear that he doesn't have the resources that he needs, and so you then yes. wonder, will he ever have the resources that he needs? Um, doesn't mm. what what does it what does it take to change that? I think we all know the answer to it, but whether it's ever going to happen is another matter. I know yeah. you say that you say that, and I, I know we've got to be sort of. I don't know, partial on this one, but do you think there was a question asked to us last week uh, on Sunday, wasn't it? I think, Ken, uh, mm. someone uh, put on the questions here. Do you think this is as far as Sisu can take us and someone else needs to come in and take over the reins and invest? I think the answer, the, you can see the answer to that in front of you right now. What we've been talking about with Mark and the recruitment problems he's got and so on, I think the answer is staring us in the face to that question. Mm, yeah. Have they taken us as far as they can? Um, whatever the reasons may be that, it, that they don't seem able to take us any further. 
whether we see a change of ownership depends on many things, um, not the least of which how much they want, whether anybody's prepared to pay it, what strings are attached to it, um, what's the situation regarding the future of the arena. Um, we don't know. I mean, there's and there's a combination of issues there, aren't there? Because there's there's Wasp's financial position, which is still unclear. Mm -hmm. uh, and I say unclear quite deliberately because a lot of people say, well, they're going bust. Well, that that's you've got to qualify that because of the bondholders issue, which they are apparently trying to solve by bringing in new uh, source of income. So far as I know, that funding is, I, I, I'm, I, I understand that funding is not yet available. It might be, but I don't think it is. Um, that deal hasn't been done. So where does that leave them? Um, I know there are people that have been asking the question for some time, whether they could take on the football club and the rugby club and therefore the arena as well. That might be the ideal solution in many ways. Um, mm. But what are you buying? I mean, if you want to buy Coventry, if, if as is rumoured, and it is only a rumour, I don't know whether it's true. If if CISA are asking sixty million for Coventry City, what do they? Why do they expect people to pay that for a club where the only asset is the training ground at Wrighton? They don't own the arena, and people say, "Oh, what about the players? They're worth millions." Well, the players represent debt because mm. the players have got to be paid. Mm. The players have got contracts which which have got a value to them, and you've got to deal with that. It, they're not. I mean, yes, you could sell them and make some money, but equally, you've got to fulfil the contracts. So you yeah. can't just see the, the players as assets. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's, a, it's a conundrum, isn't it, that we've got ourselves into? And the conundrum we've got ourselves into is because when Sisu arrived, they didn't take on the arena as they could have done in the first. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we've, we've got to come to the end here, Stuart but, uh, okay. and Ken, because we've got to nip over to the other channel and do right. a Birmingham one now. But um, before we go, Stuart, like we're all, I'm, you know, I'm the most positive person in the world. Um, going on to this season, are we going to be all right? And do you think we'll finish higher than we did last year or are we just going to scrape it? As I said earlier on, I'm by no means pessimistic yet. I think we've still got these three matches in hand, which could well prove to be a trump card. It worries me that we're going to end up playing at least seven, possibly eight matches in October. That's a lot of games in a short space of time. Yeah. This ridiculous, pathetic World Cup competition causing mm. us a break in our season that we really don't need isn't going to help anybody. Um so I think that's going to cause a lot of problems for a lot of people, not just for Coventry City. And then you've got the question of what happens in January. Can we hold on to Yokeries? Can we hold on to Harmer and, and to, to O'Hare? What happens then? And if they go, how much of the take from that should we sell them? I hope we don't. But should we? How much of that does the manager have to spend? I fancy oh. the answer is probably very little um, because it seems the owners need to recoup as much as they can. So... Um, are we going to do better than last season? I hope so. I think it's quite possible that we should. Are we going to win promotion this season? I would be amazed. Playoffs would be fantastic. Yeah. I'd have a trip to Wembley any day of the week. Thank you very much. We've, we've, apart from that forgettable charity shield match against Everton, we've always done well at Wembley. Thank you. We have, yes. Yeah. yeah we so have. you know yeah. why not? But um, so yeah, I mean, I am now. I'm delighted to say I'm now a season ticket holder, and I'm enjoying that thoroughly. My son, um, who couldn't come with me, my elder son is a football fan. My younger son isn't so much, but he does come occasionally. But my elder son comes with me. He's also a season ticket holder. When I was working every Saturday, for obvious reasons, he couldn't. So now we're catching up for lost time, sharing, watching the football together. He's taught me all the words to the songs like Hamer's song and Yokerid's <laughs> song and all the rest of it, which I never didn't know. My my brother-in-law sits, sits a few seasons, sits away from us. We've made great friends with the season ticket holders around us just up in the box behind us sits joe elliott so joe is there for me to turn around and wave to um so i'm enjoying it thoroughly and and uh, i'm just hoping that we have as enjoyable a season let's put it like that as we had last season and we what we achieve i think from this position now um it would be a bonus if we finished where we were last season but i think we it, it's eminently possible why not yeah 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 i agree i agree it's early days and yeah. Look at what look look what happened to Nottingham Forest last year. I always look back at that. They were bottom of the table and yeah. they turned their season completely around. I know they had a change of manager and stuff, but they were a completely different team and their confidence grew. 
uh, when we played them a second time, and uh, they, they, they look where they are now. But so it's early days. I don't know. I never look at the tables really until sort of around Christmas time or so. Yeah, that's when I sort of take note. But uh, there's a lot, a lot of points to be won and lost. There are a lot of football Certainly. to be played and uh, yeah. a lot of songs to be sung and beer to be drunk and all of that. Yeah, yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, I just, I mean, we've slightly run over, but it doesn't matter because it's been fantastic. I just want to say yeah. thank you, Stuart Linnell, MBE. <laughs> met the Queen. He's met the Queen. I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Um, thanks for coming on. It, it's been really enjoyable and uh, we hope you come on again one day. Maybe Very you and Joe on. together. <laughs> well, that would be nice. That would be good, yeah. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, we, we're talking to Mr. Mesting Joe. We're looking back over the years with Oggy, the, 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 the times we've had. And remember Ken DeLue, when he used to sit on the dugout that came in briefly as the owner? Do you remember that? And yeah. I said, is, that the one that lived, in, is that the one that lived in Portugal? Yeah, that's the one. He said, yeah. Yeah. he had a place next door to La Manga, to the sports <laughs> centre there. And I said, yeah. to Joe, he's the only man I've ever seen who had a better suntan than you, Joe. So, yeah. <laughs> He's got plenty of time because he doesn't do away games anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks, Stuart, again. Uh, it's, it's been Cheers, an absolute Stuart. pleasure having you on. And, and thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me, guys, and all the very best. Thank Cheers, you. Thank you. Cheers. Play up Sky Blue. Play up Sky Blue. <laughs>